Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hello there, dearest listeners. How are you? Welcome to Homo Sapiens. Your weekly neighbourhood bit of queer life, as I like to call it, life from a queer perspective. How are we all doing? Are we all revelling in the lionesses winning at the Euros? I mean, come on, it's unbelievable. I'm so thrilled to see it. Listen, I don't know anything about football. I think we've all established that. But just seeing millions, 17 million people watching it in the UK on, on the BBC, you know, it means that it's here to stay. And I just think it's so lovely to see what should have happened ages ago. Women playing football on a similar level is just such brilliant news. And I hope their salaries start to reflect as much. Who makes those salaries? Um, I'm sadly not involved. Otherwise, I'd be giving the women all the money. What a joyous thing to see them celebrate. I love how they ran into the press conference. You know, it really reminded me of... It's so funny how gendered this world is and how... Do you remember when Freddie Flintoff and his team won the cricket and there was this whole thing about Freddie Flintoff stayed out sort of raving all weekend or all night and he never went to sleep? I don't know, there was just... This could be completely subjective, but there was very much that kind of boys will be boys feeling about that. Like, oh, rapscallions, boys will be boys. And we don't often get to see women celebrating in that way. I don't know, I feel like the news or society, big words here, Chris, is sort of preconditioned to, it's men who celebrate like that, with that kind of extravagance and longness. I don't know. I'm just interested in things about how, why we end up positioning men and women in different ways, when actually, everybody can do everything, people. And that was the beautiful, bright ray of hope it gave me. And speaking as a person who's just had a daughter, if she should grow up and want to play football, then brilliant. I'm fortunately, daddy will not be able to explain the offside rule. It's just lovely to see women doing so well in football, queer women doing so well in football as well. I just loved every minute. Now, what are we doing today? Well, firstly, we've got a brilliant guest, Ryan O'Connell. I will go into that more because I love Ryan. He 
wrote the Netflix show special, which was about being a queer man with cerebral palsy. It was a comedy. It was really funny. And actually, the thing that amazes me about Ryan is that he lied a lot when he was younger about why he had cerebral palsy. And he's so honest about how he lied. And I just really love people who can do that. Literally, the secret to all happiness is to be honest about who you are. And Ryan's been very honest about his own journey towards that. And if you can ever Google like Ryan's... um little articles that he used to write online he used to write quite short articles they're very very fascinating about the queer experience because they're just really honest and very relatable and very funny anyway he's been writing queer as folk the new queer as folk in america and he's in it as well so that's very exciting and then he's also written his first book well his first sort of fiction book i think uh it's called just by looking at him and it's really good. It's got the funniest first line in the world, which I will not spoil, um, but it's to do with penises. That's just very Ryan. He is fearless. That's what I love about him. And I learn so much with him. And actually, I'm quite classically English as well. So Ryan sort of challenges me on stuff. And I love that because then I'm always like, oh, yeah, I'm being very English. So that's coming up. It's a very, very funny chat. We're trying to pick a quote to put out. And it's like there were like 40 options because he's so funny. So um, that's good. And then have you listened to the Jesse Ware interview yet? I mean, all I can say to you is you lot really like Jesse Ware. I'm so thrilled. I mean, I'd been sitting on that concept of that interview for five years. I probably should have done it sooner because, yeah, you all just loved it. And so many people got in touch to say how much you loved it. And by the way, did we ever find out about Jesse Ware's lactose intolerance results? I must find out. Let me see if I can get the answers for you. I'll do her a voice note and see if she replies while we're talking. Beb, I'm with the listeners of Homo Sapiens and we want to know whether you were lactose intolerant or not from the results of the milk you were drinking during the interview, if you recall. Now, I love hearing from you, so please get in touch. Let me know what you think of this episode, the Jesse episode, the Everything episode. Let me know what you're doing this summer. Let me know. Email is hello at homosapienspodcast.com or get in touch with us on Instagram at homosapiens. Now, last week's episode... You said lovely things. Jason said, this is such a beautiful chat. This is me and Jesse. Thank you, Jason. Wish I could give you the biggest hug, Jesse. Thanks for sharing your art and heart with us. Lovely. Quite right. Drew said, my two favourites. Christmas in July. Drew, you are lovely. Thank you so much. Liam, incredible. Didn't want it to end. Now, Liam, we know, is a big Jesse Ware fan. We had a little chat about that on Instagram. Doppelganger Vish said, loved this week's podcast. So you asked where and when we listen to it. Oh, yeah. So I was asking you all where you listen to the podcast. Doppelganger firstly says, so it's a ritual I listen to it during my morning shower. It settles the voices I struggle with, but also makes me feel wanted, understood, and at the same time educated. 40 years of missed life being uploaded into my brain through your epic podcast. Ah, oh, lovely. To be wanted and unlonely for this part of the day gives me hope. Listen, absolutely, you are wanted, and all of you listening are wanted, by this here pod. I'm too conscious about how people see me or if I'm upsetting on anyone with how I'm seen or dressed. The calm achieved by some of the issues brought up, though, etc., just makes me feel like I fit in because they have all crossed my mind or I have lived it. Love that. We're here to be of service, so I'm thrilled to hear that we are of use. Doppelgangerbish. S-E-S short. S-E short. Said, just realised I wasn't following you on Instagram. What are you doing? You're missing out on Culture Club and all these fun things. Which is weird, as I was an early adopter. Oh, wonderful. With you since episode one. 
Thank you so much. We should give people lifetime achievement awards, shouldn't we? I'm also probably one of your oldest fans, 55. Nuh-uh, won't hear it. So dead in gay years. Oh my God, that's so funny. You ain't dead, you're just beginning. Uh, just want to say I love HS and like you, I'm a regular B&Q visitor and tip fan. Oh, adorable. We're doing up a house in Hastings. Oh my God. And I go so regularly to our local waste plant. that I'm on first name terms with the guys who work there. Keep up the good work, SS. Please don't let this be the end. I need you to write in. Tell me about this house you're doing up in Hastings. I love Hastings. It's so pretty. Please can you send me pictures? Please can you send me all of it? I want to know more. Any of you, if you're doing any renovations, doesn't mean if even if you're just painting a corner of a piece of wood, I want to see photos. Nothing excites me, makes me happier. I'm telling you. Other people who wrote in and said the who's and when's and why's and what's and how's of where they watch the show. Lots of you wrote in. Thank you so much. KM747 listens to us in the gym. Gym bros don't know I'm educating myself on all things queer. I love that. Okay, so I'm going to do some inspirational. Come on, KM747, you can do it. One more push. Hopefully that was inspirational. Rambo as well says they listen in the gym or on lunch break. Mark listens in Manchester. Hello, Manchester. God, I love it up there. Emma says she listens when she's at home doing the housework. Um, I like doing a bit of housework to podcasts, actually. I realised I'm sort of actually someone who needs to be doing two things at once. I can't really do one thing at a time. Uh, Not Hidden, obviously, says, putting on my slap every Friday morning before work in Urbane, New Zealand. Hello, New Zealand, and hello, slap. I love that. Riding is my life, says, at work in Canada. If I go into my office, you're on my commute, says Herbie. Tears from Chile. I've been listening for four years. Thanks and congrats on the big five. Love you for that, Tia. P-Burn, shower, car, walks, chores. Interesting. Good selection there. I like it. I like listening to a podcast on a walk. But the thing is, I'm always then just shouting, Ridley, to the dog because he's running off. Will Dio says, always when walking my dogs, Eddie and Kimmy, on the island, on the Isle of Islay. Where's the Isle of Islay, Jen? That's from Jen. Jen, we can't have a conversation about the dogs, Eddie and Kimmy, and not be sent a photo. Please, God, send in a picture of those dogs. I will share it with everybody so we all get to see dogs. T.A. Goodson has been listening in Arkansas. Hello there, Goodson. T.A. Goodson, I think that is. Cindy, sitting in my comfy old yellow vintage chair with a nice cuppa. Oh, my God. Is there anything better than sitting, having a cup of tea and listening to something lovely? Anyway, I could go on. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful, wonderful... Uh, it's so nice to, to visualise where you are all are. And anyone who's in the gym, get back on it. I want another set and I don't want 12, I want 14 reps. You hear me? Exercise, by the way, it never gets any easier, does it? It's just really hard. But you feel good. It sorts my brain out. That's why I do it. Speaking of good mental health, should we talk to Ryan O'Connell? You're going to be howling with laughter. You're going to love him. Here's my chat with Ryan. Say no more. What I'm really pleased about is the fact that we're both wearing a lovely shade of yellow slash mustard, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Mine is like a darker, what's like a Charlie Brown moment of whatever. And where is this from, this beautiful purchase? Um, It's from Dries. Shut up. I love it. (laughs) Very glamorous. I don't, I don't fuck around, Chris. I just don't. No, I, I've really noticed that about you. (laughs) Mine, since you ask, is from, uh, where is it from? Sunspell, thoughts so. Oh my god, you know, Sunspell, let's let's go deep on that for a second. Sunspell has a really incredible white t-shirt. Now, 
you can't underestimate the power of a power like of a really good white tea. My my favorite white tea was this uh this shirt from Acne called Measure, which they discontinued mm-hmm. horrifically. And then this is really dark. I'm going to admit something right now. Uh, Anthony from Queer Eye wa- had a thing on the Strategist where he where he talked about his favorite white T-shirts. I was eyeing his white T-shirts on Queer Eye, being like, "That's a good fit. That's similar to Measure." So I ordered Sunspell, and honey, it's great. It slaps. It's a it's a banger. Really? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I was in Sunspell and noted that their t-shirts are something ridiculous, like 80 pounds, which is what, $120? And I was like, <laughs> what fucking world do we live in? Well, they're incredible. And honestly, the acne measure tea was even worse. It was even more expensive. I mean, it's like straight up mental illness, obviously. But like, honey... <laughs> Can I tell you my ambition? This says more about this says terrible things about me. Okay. But we're here for the honesty. I used to think <laughs> if you have an amazing body, you can wear whatever t-shirts or clothes. Yes. It doesn't matter. You just look amazing. Yep. So it's like instead of buying expensive clothes, spend that on gym membership and then you can buy whatever, but you'll look amazing. The problem is I never did the gym bit. Oh, honey, wait, you don't go to the gym like ever? I mean, I do, but I don't. Yeah, I don't believe it. No, you gays are so fucked up. I feel like like people are are always like, oh, the gym, LOL. And they like take off their shirt and they have this amazing body. Like the amount of like ripped guys on Grindr that identify as average body makes my soul die. Like literally, it's, it's so sad. Yeah, because you're like, honey, you're not average. You have a very conventionally attractive body. You have like abs and yet you're identifying as average because of body dysmorphia like it's it's yes it ain't right it ain't right i appreciate that and i'm really thrilled that you think i've got a great body Ryan. but i actually (laughs) just don't and i've never had one but the problem is we are fighting an uphill battle of someone approaching 40 suddenly decided to exercise when they their body hadn't moved for the first 34 years of their life do you know what i mean it's a bit of that but i just don't believe you so like you ha- i think you do go to the gym i i think i'm really I, I just oh no of course i do oh see there you go there you go but i don't have the body i don't have the body i think you do but because of body dysmorphia you don't you say you don't really god i'd love to get that diagnosed properly and then i could just relax i don't think you need a diagnosis i think it's just called being gay and being alive <laughs> Are you sure you're not Dr. Ryan O'Connell? I know. I know. Well, here's the thing. Like, I I look back at photos of myself when I was 24. I did not go to the gym. My version of cardio was running to my drug dealer's house. But I looked incredible. (laughs) I looked so good. And I did not know that. I thought I was gay Gollum. And Mm. now, like, at 35, I'm in the best shape of my life, TBH. And, like, I am loving it and I dress like a fucking slut every day. Obviously not today. Um, and <laughs> I, everything is fit with an inch of, like literally like the, my clothes are just painted on my body and yeah. I, you know, on Queer as Folk, I was delighted to do nude scenes, obsessed. Like I, yes. because I, I just feel like when I was in my twenties, I, everything was lost on me. I did not appreciate a single thing. I had such low mm-hmm. self-esteem and I just refused to do that at 35. Like, I yeah I'm like I'm owning it I'm obsessed and I'm like no I'm I'm learning to really appreciate it because it's gonna be gone it's all temporary (laughs) yes it is and I look I can relate to half of that which is 
I look at photos of myself now. Maybe I've said this on the podcast. So sorry to anyone if I've said it before. I look at photos of myself now from when I was 17. And I'm aware this is a this is a common experience. But I'm like, you were so amazing. And like how lovely looking you were. And you fucking hated yourself. Yeah. And that is, that was all gay shame. I did not, I wasn't even in the room. I didn't want to be there. Yes. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Well, you just don't know what to do with what you got. And it's a real, so that's why I'm just learning to, I'm just knowing what I got. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Getting out there and hustling, baby. Yes, honey. My come springer is here. (laughs) Now, um, I just want to start, even though we've been talking for 10 minutes, by saying how brilliant your book is. Oh, thank you. Massive congratulations. Thank you. Because last time we spoke, you said, oh, I've done this book, but you know, we couldn't talk about it for obvious reasons. Um, And the lovely tone of the way you talk comes across and your extreme honesty and it's so funny and very poignant at many points and just a massive congratulations oh thank you thank you thank you you're one of the first people i'm talking to about it it feels crazy to be with really? it yeah it feels great i mean look the the process of it was much shorter than typical novels because i wrote the first draft in four months which i know i should go like in the witness protection program saying that because it's like it should have been like a torturous slog it should have been like you know because my first book Mm. which is like basically a pamphlet sold at urban outfitters it took me (laughs) it took me two and a half years to write basically a 40 page book because i was 26 i didn't quite know how to write i was all voice no structure no style so it was really, really difficult for me to write that book. And then this one truly poured out of me in this kind of myth, like in sort of this way that as a writer, like it's like you hear about those things happening, but it never happens to you. Like I've had, a, mm-hmm. I've had a few like little, little pieces of writing that have kind of poured out of me very quickly that feel like almost like an exorcism. Like it's like not even me. It's like something's taking over my body, but to mm-hmm. have that, oh, to have that with a long form writing project was beyond my wildest dreams and i feel like i'm gonna be chasing the dragon forever after that like Mm. i just like because it was so surreal that it happened so quickly how many hours did you write for a day in four months out of interest i wrote a thousand words a day basically give or take that was that was my thing and i didn't i didn't set out to write a novel i mean in the back of my mind i kind of knew that it could be a novel but I did not want to give myself that pressure. So what I did is I did not have a roadmap. I did not plot this out at all. I just said, mm. I'm going to write a thousand words a day and see what happens. And then before I knew it, I had a full-fledged novel. It was it was crazy. And I, and I felt like the whole time while I was writing it, I was like, this will be the day that I run out of gas. This will be the time. This will be the day that the story structure yeah. will fall apart. I'll hit a wall. And I just never did. And I And I feel like that's a testament mm. to like, I've just been breaking stories in television writers' rooms for, like, years. So, like, structure is just muscle memory to me now. Like, I just know how to do it. But mm. I don't know. It was it was a real – it, like, felt like extreme sports writing edition. It really was, like, a rush. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think as well that you – I would argue that you're not going to – you know, this isn't the only time it will happen because I think that you have spent so much time – being aggressively honest and i think a lot of the time when you're writing a novel let's imagine that it is fiction for in in this fictional example um you're trying to find where the truth is in all of this you know and and actually you're so good at that and so that's why perhaps it comes easier because you make it your business to be 
really, really honest about what's going on with you, perhaps because there was a time when you weren't so honest, right? Yeah, I think I'm making up for lost time for sure. I mean, I think I think I was purging a lot of feelings that had been percolating for a couple years. Like, like mm. the germ of the novel, like the kind of mood and the landscape that I wanted to create had been kind of sitting with me for a while. And I, I, and I, I did, I never would have done it if it wasn't for lockdown. I mean, I did this because of, Mm -hmm. because of lockdown, because I was feeling out of control and kind of feeling unmoored and my show had gotten shut down and I hated the world that we lived in. So I kind of wanted to get lost in a different one. And Mm I, I never, I mean, the whole, the whole undertaking of writing a novel, I mean, I think also psychologically, not treating it as a novel, but a writing exercise allowed me to finish it. Because I think if I was really going to sit down and be like, I'm writing a novel, I think I would have been paralyzed by the enormity of it. But I think I had a lot of things that I had been living with for for a couple of years that I hadn't really talked about. And I needed to like purge it exorcism style. And honestly, like, obviously, I was hoping that someone would buy it, especially towards the end, because I was so proud of it. But honestly, mm. if no one had bought it, it would have done its job because I grew so much while writing. I mean, the, the, the book helped me get sober. That was a huge part of like, so at the, the really? yeah. So at that point, honestly, it would have been a win-win regardless of what happened with it. Mm. Um, because I had had a problem with drinking for a couple of years and I had never really vocalized it to myself or anyone else. And I thought by giving those feelings a home in this character, sort of like once you see, you can't unsee. Um, Mm. so I knew that just by even admitting these things to myself, I would be pushed towards sobriety. Uh, and it worked. I got sober halfway through writing the book. Wow. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com So one of the things you talk about a lot in the book is alcohol and alcohol dependency and mm-hmm. things. And uh, I was listening to you speak as well on a podcast by the writer who wrote that book. What's it called? Oh, this Naked Mind. yeah. You listen- Wait, you listened to that, Chris? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Love. Honey, she did her research. I'm so proud of you. You did a, you did <laughs> a deep dive, baby. I love that blushing um <laughs> so and it's really funny because um so i've obviously done a bit of introduction in the introduction of this episode but uh elliot is the character who is you know he's a tv writer he's a queer man with cerebral palsy like yeah. he's not a million miles from you one might say no he's around the corner he's around the corner two doors down mm-hmm. and he struggles with alcohol and i was listening and i was like it's so interesting because i don't want to underplay at all any of your own issues around alcohol but 
the relationship between people and alcohol in the US and the UK is so different. It blows my mind. Wait, like, but in what way? Because when I famously lived in London for one calendar month, I... <laughs> We still celebrate it. Yeah, you, know. you should. You should. We moved Pride, actually. To you be... fucking should, okay? I lived on Old Compton <laughs> Street. I was 23. I had my first I had my first one-night stand at Joyner's Arms. It was a moment. Did you? I oh. I did. I did. Um, and then yeah. I and then I ran into him at, uh, on the tube. There I am, being all English, on the tube. Uh, and it was <laughs> it was traumatizing. We both were like, lol. Anyways. Um, anyways, so <laughs> I I what what I saw, the UK's relationship with alcohol, I I almost saw it as being more fucked up than Americans, which I didn't know was possible because people were blackout wasted at like 9 p.m. It was like shocking. Yes. I literally like no, that's what I mean. It's so crazy. Like the pub culture is so ingrained, and people are truly getting blackout. Like it's it's like spring break Cancun, but like just Tuesday, <laughs> but it's like a Tuesday night, and like the person is like you know a banker or something like that. I don't fucking know. yeah yeah. And you are not allowed on the whole, to say that you think someone's drinking behavior is unacceptable. They're like, lighten up. You know what I mean? Well, it's of course, just very... it's been normalized. It's been normalized. And it's yeah. been normalized in America, too. And I think our culture, American and, you know, in the UK, it, we worship at the altar of booze. We really do. And it's like, yeah. we can't imagine a world without it. And if you opt out of that kind of cultural conditioning, it's really triggering for people. It's very, very triggering because we've all bought into it and uh, it is what it is. And I think that like we, we somehow delude ourselves by looking at drinking in a very binary way of like, you have a problem and you don't have a problem. Like you're an alcoholic yeah. or you're not an alcoholic. And I think what was so revolutionary to me about reading this book, because, you know, I had done, I had dipped into AA and NA in my twenties when I had a problem with painkillers and I never it never resonated with me. And I think I think I felt very guilty about that and very bad because I was like, part of me was like, oh, am I just not ready to be sober? But then I also was like, I don't really, I don't really like the program. I just don't. And I and I mm -hmm. wish there was another way for me to get sober. Like I just wish there was another way. And I didn't know there was another way until I read this book. And I feel so grateful because the way it breaks down alcohol, it's so like science-based and facts driven and like the cultural conditioning and kind of like the collective brainwashing we have around booze is so powerful that like, mm. no wonder it's really hard. Like, I feel like I didn't get sober for like two extra years because I was like, I couldn't conceive of like not having Frosé in Provincetown. Like that is like, that's yeah. meant to end this love. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's truly like, yeah. like that is not okay because I could not imagine going to P-Town without being wasted it's just so insane yes and so uh the book is called this naked mind and who's it by what's her name amy uh, annie grace yeah it's sort of her take on oh well tell me the synopsis of the book if you would because i know people will be fascinated to hear about it she was you know a high functioning heavy drinker she drank like two bottles of a night like of wine a night but like her life was never like in shambles you know what i mean it was like sort of this like mm frustrating high functioning vibe which i really relate to because my 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 life on the surface did not suffer from my drinking i was like killing it mm. at work my relationship was great my friendships were great it was just sort of this like gradual soul deadening exhaustion mid-grade hangover permanency that was so frustrating but mm. the book is really about examining 
the cultural conditioning with alcohol and how we have as a society been kind of brainwashed into thinking that it's irreplaceable and then really diving into like what alcohol does to the brain and the body and why you become addicted to it and how it's not always about a genetic predisposition. It's just alcohol is a addictive substance. Like I drank, I drank normally, normally in quotes for like 10 years before I really started to go on like a slow decline. And it was mm-hmm. gradual. It was not like, and I was never the person that was like, oh, I can, I can, you know, once I start, I can't stop. That was never me. Like it really took mm-hmm. a long time to get its claws into me. And it's because again, alcohol is addictive. So at a certain point, you're most likely going to develop some sort of problem with it, or you're going to be drinking more than you want. And that's just sort of how it works. But again, I think, yeah. I think to, to prevent any kind of examination, I think, again, we like to put people in these little boxes and say, well, you know, your mom was an alcoholic, so obviously you're more likely to get it. And I just don't think that's true. Yeah. So it just goes into that. It goes into, like, the science and the facts and just, like, also, like, it goes into, like, your conscious and your subconscious where, like, consciously I wanted to stop drinking. But then subconsciously I had years and years of conditioning of, like, Alcohol is amazing. Like, undead to me. They're drinking, like, wine at 11 a.m. Ha ha. ha, Like, mom juice. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this aggressive normalization that your conscious is competing against. And that's why your subconscious usually always wins. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so tell me the moment you realized that alcohol was, you were aware of it being a problem for you. Was there a moment? I don't think there really was, like, a specific moment. I think it was just a series of things I was like, I really want to change this, but I'm not really able to. I mean, I think, I think when I was shooting special before, before, right before lockdown, um, Mm -hmm. I would not drink when I had to shoot. And so I was sober from like what Sunday night to Friday night. And Mm -hmm. I was so proud of myself for, for being sober those five nights. And then, but Friday night, I would reward myself by getting absolutely obliterated because like, and I would like, be like kind of counting down the days of like Friday night mm-hmm. where I could really like cash in my sobriety chips and like, like it's like mm-hmm. how I did dry January twice as a way to gain an illusion of control. But then I celebrated succeeding by getting wasted because I was still under the impression that's the thing. It's like, it's a perspective shift. I still believed in alcohol. I still believed in what alcohol gave me. So me abstaining always felt like a sacrifice. It always felt like white knuckling my way through it. And I think also mm-hmm. like what, what really resonated with me about Annie Grace's book, it sort of like reveals alcohol to be the sort of like giant scam that doesn't really give you what you think it does. And I think looking at it through that lens of like, oh, this is not a sacrifice whatsoever. This is called leveling up. That was like a game changer for me because like, and then so like when I would, you know, when I would shoot special and then Friday night would roll around and I would be like basically rushing home to have that bottle of wine because I had earned it. There was definitely like these moments of clarity where I'd be like, oh, maybe this has like more control over me than I thought. And then Mm. in lockdown, like everyone else, I was drinking way too much. And it was like, it was, it was like, okay, you can't, when you're not socializing, when you're not, when it's not going out with friends for drinks and it's just you at home and 5 p.m. rolls around and you're basically paralyzed at the thought of not drinking that's when you are like, you can, there's no hiding it anymore. It's sort of just like right there in HD. And so I think like I got, I got sober in June. So I had like three months of like really aggressive quarantine drinking. And I think that 
I think that sped up the process. I think I would have gotten there regardless, but I think it kind of pushed the fast forward button a little bit. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? That change. So many things were changed by isolation and all of that. And tell me a bit about what it feels like now to not be drinking. Oh my God. It's, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like literally like my life is so much easier. First of all, vanity alone, I got so much hotter. I lost 30 pounds. I I got like randomly ripped. Like literally like I look the best I've ever looked. It's like crazy. I'm literally like, oh my God, my skin is no longer like, my skin was a disaster. Like, like it's just, you're literally poisoning yourself not to be drama, but it's ethanol. So like you're poisoning your body every night. So obviously that's not going to do wonders for you facially. I feel like my body is sort of where it wants to be, what it's meant to be. And then before that, I was just like a a human wine cellar. (laughs) I also feel like I always identified as a very anxious, stressed out person. And Mm. I, I, you know, and I, and I work a lot. Like I have a high pressure job. There's a lot of stuff going on and I would rely on alcohol as sort of this marker to, to unwind and kind of, you know, divide the day of this is where work ends because I'm such a workaholic and I kind of needed wine to sort of tranquilize or dart myself. Um, <laughs> and what I've realized through being sober is that actually I'm not a super anxious or stressed out person. The wine was making me sort of incapable of dealing with a lot of things because I was walking around life with a permanent mid-grade hangover. So like, obviously it was just creating more problems and it was exasperating the, uh, the anxiety because I was becoming dependent on a thing to, to function. And so once I removed that, like, it's so interesting. I for so long needed some sort of release to kind of like, you know, for the end of the day. And now I don't have that. Now it's just like normal. Now the day just ends. I don't, I don't need to do a certain thing to unwind. So that's been a real eye-opener for me. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because I, you know, so much what you're saying, I'm like, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. You know, with alcohol being the tranquilizer dart to, you know, make yourself relax. Well, because my brain, it's a blessing and a curse, but my brain goes like 80,000 miles per hour. And Mm. it's, it's great because it's allowed me to accomplish a lot of things, but it can be hard to stop. You know what I mean? It can be hard to like chill out and Mm. it's gotten so much better though like I just I don't need one thing to to slow down I can kind of just like do it on my own and also there's something really empowering about owning every aspect of your life the good the bad the not chic like all of it belongs to me whereas before a lot of it belonged to alcohol it it took up a lot of real estate that's interesting well it just took up a lot of real estate in my brain and managing my drink, yeah. managing my drinking and, and thinking about alcohol, just like it, it had a starring role. And honestly, and I'm not saying this to throw shade because so many of my friends got sober through the program and it saved so many lives. But when I would go to AA or NA or whatever, I would think to myself, I'm trying to remove alcohol from my life or I'm trying to remove drugs from my life and not have it be such a starring role and it feels like it still has this starring role in um, in their lives. And I don't want to focus on it that much. I don't want to talk about, like, you know what I mean? I don't want to, like, be fixated. I don't want to take things one day at a time. That sounds really hard. I, 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 I'm probably, I don't mean, that's just me personally. That's how I felt. Yeah. And I, I know the program has done so many amazing things. But with, with this naked mind, the way they frame alcohol and kind of give contextual 
support as to like why I was kind of hooked on it and why like you know born into the society that I was born into it has allowed me to quit alcohol but also I don't really think about it and it's not tempting to me and I think that's the hardest thing that that drinkers have they can't, they cannot grasp that. They're like, I still like when I'm out at bars, people will be like, do you need water? Are you okay? Like, like, do you know what I mean? And it's like, honey, I'm good. And it's not like, it's not doth protest too much. Like I, like truly, like when I read this book, alcohol became revolting to me. Like I became disgusted mm-hmm. by it. And so like, I am not tempted at all. It's the easiest decision I ever made. And then, okay, so talk to me about when you're in P-Town and all your friends are on the Froze. We're two hours in, yeah. so it's a bit messy. Where is your head at in that moment? Well, that can be hard because I feel like sometimes, like when you're sober and people are getting wasted, it's like you're on different channels. You just are. Mm-hmm. I think that when you go out, a lot of the reason why you stay out too long is to drink. And then when you're not drinking, you're very acutely aware of when the night needs to end. <laughs> yes do you know what i mean you're like okay i'm done like it's very like okay this is good but Mm. i think when you're drinking you're so you're just staying to drink um Mm. so Mm -hmm. it's it's been interesting kind of being so acutely aware of the rhythms of the night and and having other people just kind of not be and so that Mm. is interesting in a way but largely it's fine i mean i think as long as people when you stop drinking, you become a projection for a lot of people's issues. That can be hard is managing people's own feelings towards your drinking. That's the only thing that I... And is, is this in the moment when they're drunk, you're sober at a thing? Or is this in more like just general... Just generally. Like like, like right. people like being kind of triggered by the fact that you're not drinking or and asking a lot of questions and not really understanding it. And it's clear that this person that's asking you these things has their own kind of slippery relationship with alcohol and is probably just curious and mystified just like i would have been you know two years ago i would if someone had come to me i'd have been like honey like what like i just would not have been able to conceive it so i understand where they're coming from but like it can be a little like you know annoying to like have to deal with that a lot you know what i mean yeah and i think i really like that this book not that i've read it uh (laughs) but like appears to offer how many layers of clothing uh is your mind wearing chris how many layers of clothing what do you mean well i've got is your mind wearing uh it's called this naked mind how many layers of clothing? oh i see Honey. i was like <laughs> yeah like where is this going <laughs> it's it's what what do they say over here fur coat no knickers that's what it's wearing lol so your mind is wearing a fur coat and no knickers that makes sense um, yeah but the, it's, it's something that's offering a slightly like different path for because people trying to work out their relationship with alcohol, perhaps AA can feel like the only route and nice to see there's another path for other people who perhaps feel that isn't right for them. And congratulations, if that's not an annoying thing to say, but great that you found what works for you. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, it's been it's been a game changer. And it's, um, it's made just everything uh, simpler and less complicated, I think. Uh, I'm pausing you all there. Well, I'm pausing Ryan there for a little break. Go over to the feed, get part two. Lovely stuff. Hallelujah. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.